I'm Sarah Gardner with the Climate Action and Outreach Division here in Iowa City, and I want to welcome you all to tonight's discussion being held in co coordination with our Office of Equity and Human Rights. We are very excited tonight about the two guests we've invited to have this discussion of climate action and communities of color. Uh, just a little housekeeping before we get started. Tonight's discussion will be recorded so we can share it with others who are unable to attend this evening. Uh, when you joined, your connection was automatically muted for audio quality, but at the end of the presentation, we will have time for a Q&A. So if you raise your hand, we can unmute you to have that question answered. And also, we do have a Q&A box that will be up throughout the duration of the presentation. So if you want to enter your question into that box, We'll keep track of it and get it answered at the end as well. So we are going to start tonight by hearing from our first guest, Richard Mabian. Mr. Mabian has been recognized by Project Drawdown for his unique work fostering multiracial coalitions to address climate change. He is the founder and CEO of Building a Sustainable Earth Community, an organization based in Kansas City that is dedicated to nurturing leaders of color for the climate movement. He is also a member of the NAACP and the first black board member of the Kansas Sierra Club. After his presentation, we'll hear from Iowa City resident, Eamon Sharif, who will build the conversation by adding a local perspective and offering some questions to Mr. Mabian. Mr. Sharif is a member of the Johnson County Food Policy Council, the founder of the Global Food Project, and an Iowa City Climate Ambassador. Finally, with the time remaining, we'll open the floor for questions from the audience. So thank you all for joining us for this exciting and important conversation. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Mr. Mabian to the floor to kick us off. Thank you. It's very, I'm very glad to be here. I'm really honored to have been asked to be a part of this uh, program during uh, uh, Black History Month. I, uh, it gives it an added appeal. Let me get my, uh, my, my, my apparatus set up here. Okay, so I'm glad to be here. Uh, this is uh, like my second or third time speaking in Iowa. I'm starting to feel like uh, uh, this is my second home now, and I really enjoy being able to do this. Uh, and I think the fact that this is Black History Month and uh, we're talking about climate action and the communities of color, this was the perfect topic for me to be working with you on. So without any delay, I'm going to go ahead and get started because I don't want to use up all my time talking about me. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do is give you an idea of how I got involved in this climate world to begin with. I'm actually a, a former civil rights freedom fighter. And that's how I spent my time after graduating from college, working in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, dealing in neighborhood work and learning to be a citizen participation specialist. But this the reason I use this to this slide is because it was that incident in, in, in New Orleans from the Katrina uh, disaster that made me aware of the climate world period. Uh, I was, like I said, more into fighting for freedom than before then. 9-11 put me in a position where I had to regroup with a different kind of job. But the thing that got me about these two particulars, these two pictures in particular, was the fact that people were milling around that Superdome, clueless of what was going on. You know, and, and I sit and I saw that and and I and I realized that it was kind of like you know, there wasn't any 
any local leadership, and I'm not talking about governors or mayors or elected officials. That's not what I'm talking about. They have a responsibility. I'm talking about neighborhood leaders. I'm talking about somebody that might think, well, I wonder what's happening with Mary Jo and, and send somebody over to check on her. That kind of thing I didn't see going on. And so that's what made me realize that maybe there was a place for me in this industry. Uh, I have a uh, guy that uh, I started working with back in uh, this, this, we formed this up around about 2010. So between 2005, when that Katrina happened to here, I spent time getting in the in industry to learn it from the inside out. So I could come back into the community and see what it was, how I could teach folks what I had learned. Uh, and so I got with this guy, he's my, he's, I consider him my personal scientist. He's in the Sierra Club. His name is uh, Craig Vollen. And he and I put this, this PowerPoint together. And what I was gonna do is to use this PowerPoint and you see he started it out. I really like this picture because he talks about the planet Earth, our only home. You know, even right now we have so many divisions going on in our country that, 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 that on this planet that we need to have people focusing on the fact that this is our only home. And we need to be doing what we can do to try to save this planet. So what we was going to do, we was going to take this PowerPoint and I was going to start attending what the Kansas City, Kansas has what they call livable neighborhoods. And in 2012, when we kicked this off, there was something like uh, 100 plus, maybe about 140 neighborhood groups. And once a month, those leaders of each one of those individual groups would come to a meeting to be briefed on current events and what they needed to talk to their own neighborhood groups about during that month. And so when I found out that was going on, I hooked myself in there as their greens are. I was going to go in and started dealing with people and teaching people how what this greening of America was about. So I think that top picture up there on the, uh, on the left is uh, me holding up a, uh, uh, a lantern that had a, a CFL type bulb in it and was introducing people to what I'd be able to come to their meetings and teach their neighbors, teach their members. And the one directly under that is me at a neighborhood meeting. And uh, you see that they got the police there. They would, that's when that community policing would do their thing. And, and we would go by and I would talk to folks in the room. Uh, on the right, that's me at a night out, annual night out against crime. I would attend those kind of events, set up a table and have all the different stuff that you can use to benefit, to cut your costs. That's what we were doing, was teaching people how to cut your costs. Back in my business days, I had heard that John Getty had said that uh, the ways to reach people was either by making the money or saving the money. So what we were doing was reaching the low income community by showing them ways to so save money on their monthly utility bills. So when I would have a presentation, I would end up at the end of the presentation at the neighborhood meeting, give out the little numbers and we would draw them out and everybody there would take something home. Everything I took in there with me, I tried to make sure they had it to take it home. And then as a final drawing, we would select someone to get a makeover. And I would have a handyman that would go to the person's house and they would do everything they could 
to weatherize that person's home, put plastic on the windows, caulking, all the stuff that need to be done. What we were doing was making those people our ambassadors. And so that they would be the ones that would end up going back to those neighborhood meetings and go, wow, you remember when Richard was in here talking about doing my house? I've been looking at my monthly bill that I cannot believe how much I've been saving. Then that made me a hot item. And from that point on, people were calling wanting me to come and talk to the rest of the meeting. So that's how we got our start. And uh, we had slides in there in there that introduced people to what was going on as far as the increase in the global temperatures and we explained it to them about it the greenhouse gas concerns and the heat wave concerns. we talked to them about how more it wasn't as hot in the rural areas and the and in, in the suburbs as it was in the inner city because of the 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 the, the need because of the the, the brick and mortar effects that you have in your inner city and the and and the amount of people living there. We we talked about who would be especially hit hard on this, and that would be the elderly and the people with problems like asthma and people who worked outdoors. And so we made sure we started showing them those kind of things. And we would end this presentation on seeing our children and grandchildren are depending on us to take action. And that was what our presentation was about. But I started becoming more and more weary because we're talking to people who are not scientists, who don't have the background to really put together what we're talking about. We would have this, for instance, urban heat island problems 85% of the U.S. population will live in cities by 2020. Heat islands affect especially severe and low-income and inner-city settings. High population density, little open spaces, sparse vegetation. When I read this getting ready for a presentation, I stopped and I said, you know, that says 85% of U.S. population will live in the cities by 2020. We were telling people this in 2012. I said, I wonder where we are with that figure. Now we're in 2021, so I looked it up. The closest I could get was 2018, and it said that 82% of the population in North America lived in mostly urbanized regions. Made me think we might have been right on with that figure because if we had 82% doing that in 2018, Two years later, it's highly possible we could have had, or we might have, 85% of our population in the United States starting to live in urbanized region. On there, you see 81% Latin American, Caribbean, 74% in uh, Europe, and 68% in Pacific Island region. So that was pretty good. Now, here's one of the problems that I had, and this is one of the areas that concerned me. We had this as a slide. And I would be sitting there talking to people about ozone and explaining to them how ozones occurred. And, you know, and I found myself wondering how me talking about nitrogen oxide registered with people. And I knew then I had to find a different dialogue, a different way to be able to reach people. And that became my, 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 my agenda then, looking around to see how I could do it. This is a prime example of why that's needed. This picture was taken in Houston, Texas. I was there on a toxic tour with a group that's called Clean Air Now, and uh, I was working with a moving forward network that is um, headquartered out of LA and uh, Long Beach. 
and we were taking this toxic tour with every city we would go to. They came to Kansas City, we took a toxic tour. In fact, that's how I met the group. I led the toxic tour when they came to Kansas City. So here we went down these roads and the thing that I started noticing was first of all, how close these homes were built to those oil tanks. And anybody that's in our business knows that that should be a no-no. There's no way in the world that should be that way. And then when we started getting the explanation from the people who lived in that city, they started telling us that the reason they was doing that because they were taking advantage of uh, the low-income community, the Latinos, the Blacks, and the whites, people who have that American dream desire and they want to be a homeowner. And they were selling these homes that was right across the street from these all, all wells, and I mean, these all tanks. And on any bad weather day or even the wind blowing hard, it was blowing that all across this road and into their yard. That I thought that was the unfair way to treat them. In fact, when I was telling your, your Sarah, when she saw this slide, she said that she had worked in Houston and that the students used to come to school or wherever she met them and tell them about them seeing rainbows in their yard. And, and, and we started realizing that uh, that rainbow they was talking about was what water does to oil when it runs into it, you know, it makes the little wiggly filling. So I bless you know that they had this situation going on. Well, this, these people are the ones that we need to be able to reach so we can empower them to take the responsibility, individual responsibility of themselves and their family. So in 2019, Cornell University sent out a, started their first online climate action course and of course I jumped on it because I wanted to see compare what I was doing in Kansas City Kansas or to see if there was anything else I could find from them to come back and do in Kansas City Kansas just so happened 600 people applied for that for the slots they ended up uh, selecting 40 and I ended up being one of those 40 only about five of us out of the 40 were from the United States everybody else was as you can see from around the world very good experience learned a lot I was able to share a lot of what I was doing and that's what got me my my national and international reputation as being a person that could work and deal with the untapped market. Uh, one of the things I looked at and I learned in that class was in the United States achieving a net zero emission as we have as a goal now by 2050 will require actions across society by the governments, the private sector, and the public at large. It is a known fact that you can't have a successful greenhouse gas reduction program in the suburbs, your wealthy academic communities without being having exclusivity and also being involved in your low income areas too. So that's why it became an issue. And so I left the class. In fact, when I made my final presentation, I created this as my new marching order, the creation of an inner city climate change consciousness. And as you see, yours truly, Kansas City, Kansas, USA. That's what I've been using since that 2019 experience. This is an example of something that I had done before I went to Cornell that I used to show them what I was doing. There's a high school in Kansas City, Kansas, Wyandotte High School. I went over and found out they had an atrium out there in the middle of the school. And that's what's in that upper right-hand picture that used to have raised bed garden. It wasn't being touched at all. So I got some volunteers, a guy in town that is a 
a, a permaculture person that deals with uh, no-till gardening, and we did a demonstration spot over there with one of the science teachers and his students. And as you can see on the right there, that one at the top was in 2008. The one at the bottom was in 2010. I use this as an example of how you create a climate change consciousness. Everyone in those two years and even still now that has anything to do at that school, students, teachers, kitchen staff, maintenance staff, security staff, people coming through the school for programs, they got a chance to see this, leave there with the knowledge of what can be done. That's what the creation is all about. The next one I had to do, and this is my guy, uh, the Sierra Club guy. He came up with this thing where we advanced from doing the weatherizing and he, and he said he, he realized that the, 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 the community have used secure lights as security. You know, it's more about security than it is having any fancy lights on their house. And so we wanted to figure out a way that we could get the low, uh, low wattage bulbs, LED bulbs at their houses. Uh, I've discovered when I was doing my work that uh, uh, people would leave home at, at, at two o'clock uh, and, and knew they wouldn't get back home until dark. And they'd end up turning their security lights on because they knew that when they came home that they, they didn't want to have to come home to a dark home. And I was able to work with them on that initial program we had of turning them on to dust the dime lights and but buttons and stuff that they could screw in a light socket. That because I told them when you leave home at two o'clock and you gone like that all the time, pretty soon them um, people that are going to break in your house when you're not home are going to start thinking, you know, I don't know if this person's home or not. So this was another way of keeping them from having to do it. So the picture at the top, my guy, uh, Craig, really loves it. That's a 80-some-year-old lady that is up on the ladder, and her 90-some-year-old husband that's working with her, handing her stuff to fix their bulbs at the house. The lady at the bottom there, that's me putting some, she's 80-something too, that's me putting some lights on the front of her house, and you can see the lady over on the right-hand bottom. I didn't ask her to pose when I turned to take the picture. That was her reaction because for the first time, she saw them lights, and this was during the daytime. That was that bright. She could just imagine what it's going to be at night. We also look for ways to deal with businesses, and I selected the barbershops and beauty salons. Why? That's where people gossip. That's what I call them. That's where they talk. And we knew that if we got them fixed with the, the, the uh, high-efficiency bulbs that had low wattage, that when people came in and they would be curious about how bright it looked in there now, that they would be put, that would be part of the conversation and we again, creating that consciousness about what people can do. The light problem has gone now from, from me doing it to us using social service agencies. So now they're using it with their clients and that's where we wanted to go. Our initial thing was to begin the program to make it a factor in the low-income community. Now, in these pictures, I have public housing that's dealing with it with their tenants. I have a, that, uh, a nonprofit organization that's dealing with it. I have a, a food program that's dealing with it with their tenants when they come in. And this year, we plan on expanding it to Donnelly College and also that uh, El Central, the uh, the, the, the low-income, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Latino group. We also started relationships with our elected officials in Topeka because we wanted them to
we found a way to get with a, a climate action group in uh, Kansas, and they were able to get them some scholarships to, a, to an environmental leadership school in Wichita. And we all packed up and went down there for a week because my philosophy, going back to what was going on in, in Katrina, if you're going to have leaders in the field, leaders need to be well qualified to lead. And that's what they, they need to have, some, some, some basic leadership training of how you work and deal with people. Picture at the bottom left. Anytime I see a young couple with a child, I'm going to say something to them as far as I consider it to be society's responsibility to teach our future generation how to have a love for science and technology. If, in fact, we don't, when your child grows up, it's highly possible they'll be unemployable. I also find neighborhood stores in the hood as a place to figure out somewhere to make people aware of eating good food. Uh, two of those fellows that went to that leadership school, they they have a garden party every year when it's time to harvest, and they invite the community in, and they make sure they bring the kids, and they have a ball, and they eat food and pick food, uh, have a, a balloon fights. I got hit with a balloon one time when I was over there, but they turn it into something that becomes a memorable event and something that will last for a lifetime. We took three organizations, that Latino organization and uh, El Centro and all also, the, uh, the one is EOF, it's the Climate Action Agency, and Donnelly College, which is the, the only four-year <coughs> college in the inner city, in Kansas City, Kansas, is sponsored by a Catholic, uh, uh, a church Catholic uh, organization. And we turned them into a team to start working towards getting a job training grant. We have them working in concert with each other. The picture at the bottom, we also are tied in with a group that's called Climate Action KC. And the picture at the bottom is that Climate Action KC had a summit at one of the community colleges, and we made sure we started getting our inner city people engaged in those conversations so that one, they could be shown that they are caring, and two, they could also learn for themselves. <laughs> I made my office at the Hilton Garden Inn. Because whenever I dealt with anybody, I wanted them to be in a situation where we're in the thick of it. This is what we're talking about, economic development. The picture up at the upper left is Region 7, which works Iowa, too. That's the, um, the, you, that's the environmental justice director that's sitting there next to me, and those are your brownfield people that are sitting across from her and her and I. And we were discussing how we wanted to be able to get that job training program for those three organizations we had brought together. Uh, the one on the right is the professor from the college, the science professor from the college, working with those two of those guys that I that went to that training with his students, and they're we're, they're coordinating out a program they can work with each other on. At the bottom, which is probably my best picture of the most most the one that I'm the the, the proudest of, is the senior administrator for the uh, for EPA out of Washington D.C. Uh, in charge of the Superfunds uh, uh, program. I met him in uh, Pittsburgh, invited him to Kansas City. He said he would come, and this is where he did. He came, and we took him. I took him to my office, and we all sit there with Region 7 Superfund uh, 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 director and also the uh, chief of staff of the mayor's office 
and another uh, uh, young lady that also worked in the mayor's office. We had a crowd around us and we were discussing with him what I saw as being ways to create economic development from within the low income community. After taking a tour uh, around the city and showing him all the different things that we saw, I saw as being possibilities, we ended up uh, reconvening at the mayor's office at City Hall. And that's where we ended up we dealing with the economic development folks and we're talking strategy, but not from them to us, but from us to them. This is a bottom up approach and it's the way things are supposed to be. We talk about getting input. This is definitely the way that we were able to do it. And it wasn't with people who didn't have anything to say, but with people who had ideas of what could occur. This is going into the Hilton Garden Inn, decided they wanted to, since they had that in their name, they wanted to know if I could figure out a way to get them a community garden at, the, at their place. And so working with an organization called Kansas City Community Gardens and, and the superintendent of school, Cindy Lane, we, she introduced me to a science teachers at a middle school. So we put those groups together along with some downtown businessmen and some ministers in town. And one day everybody showed up and as you can see, those pictures are priceless of what was going on before they was able to leave there. I put this one together as a collage because I wanted you to show you that, that on our final day of harvesting, the, the, the manager of the hotel and the science teachers came out and they harvested up the food with the, with the young people. And then they took it inside the hotel and the chefs took the food that they had harvested and sat there and you can see how captivated they are watching them take what they had grown and turn it into one an unbelievable meal. Progress continues. So the planning department decided they wanted to use that section of the hotel, which was a convention center for a different reason. They're gonna build some lofts over there from what I hear. So this was last year, 2020, during the pandemic. We knew we needed to move it. So I, along with my community garden guy, we went over there one day, we dismantled it from the ground. We put the boxes on the truck. We took them across town to my brother's church and we set it up over there in Kansas City, Missouri. So instead of having the students come out, he had his Bible class come out and they got together and they was out there just like the students were. They was moving dirt and they brought the kids out with them and they had a beautiful day being able to take that garden and it being over at the Hilton Garden Inn and place it at that church. And I threw these in there because I wanted you to see how during that pandemic, we didn't miss a lick. We did not miss a lick. We were able to go from one spot to another spot, and this was the results of us doing that. And as you can see, it was a bountiful year, so to speak. And I come back to this picture. This is my final slide. Because if the people who lived in that home, them or their children, have an opportunity to be to engage in any of what you have seen so far. That to me is the beginning of that climate change consciousness that needs to be created. Thank you. Oh, Ayman, I think you are muted.
Thank you, Richard, for this uh, wonderful presentation. It's just like a very rich information. And um, I also will express uh, my express being very honored to be here with you tonight. I also thank um, the Office of Equity and the Office of Climate Change in the city of Iowa City for enabling this uh, important event. Uh, the city of Iowa City is uh, moving fast uh, with the issues of climate action uh, through so many things. We've seen that uh, recently the city uh, up updated it is uh, greenhouse gas emission, uh, the carbon emission uh, targets to uh, be like, uh, we are now in 40% from the baseline uh, by 2030 and then net zero by 2050, which is just like uh, consistent with uh, many uh, other areas in the United States. And of course, uh, consistent with the uh, International Governmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, the most important thing here is we were lucky in Iowa City because we have this big boost from uh, this is like uh, Mid-America and uh, the University of Iowa power plant because they, they have those big decisions uh, to turn into uh, renewable uh, energy for Mid-America. It was just uh, wind and bio for the University of Iowa. So this helped a lot on us uh, the slope of these emissions going down, but we must always remember that we still have 39%, 39% of our emissions are coming from very important things. Uh, we have transportation and we have uh, the buildings, the housing, and then we have the waste. And we notice all of those, the three of them, uh, those 39% also, it seems like the most difficult ones, the, the ones that never wants to come down. Uh, uh, at least not significantly through the, the entire period since the baseline. And at the same time, those are the ones who are, uh, which are connected to our people, the population, housing, transportation, and waste. So that brings the importance of everything Richard uh, is now talking about is about getting outside, get the people involved in the climate action because without people, uh, it will be very difficult to achieve these goals and these uh, ambitious goals uh, of climate change. Um, another thing I also think is very important, we have the title for, for this and we've been talking, I talked to Sarah, okay, when we say uh, people of color, this now we notice that it is the the title itself is so wide that it includes all people because apparently as we see now when climate uh, when we see the effect of climate change it just like it includes everyone the impact is felt by everyone as well so we mean to highlight the people of color but of course we also include other people especially in places like Iowa City we always include uh, 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 established people, but we also we also include emerging groups. Like we have uh, 
uh, immigrant groups, we have also the refugees and all those groups coming. So we also we need to look into these people, identify them, and treat them in the same way, trying to establish the the uh, climate action consciousness, as Richard says, and move on with the leadership thing. Uh, focusing on uh, the involvement on of communities uh, brings brings the first question. It's just like uh, Richard now talked a lot about the climate action, uh, the uh, climate action consciousness, uh, which. I believe it's not like a, when you are starting from the beginning, Richard, there must be a lot of challenges, a lot of things to create this consciousness. Um, and I seriously wanted to uh, listen like a little bit more about this consciousness, how I, you showed us so many things now, but what are the challenges? What, what should we expect now when we are trying to build this consciousness here in Iowa City to, to meet up our future? What, 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 else we need to know about building this consciousness and the challenges. Uh, the other part of the story is those big organizations like the, the, the like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I'm just kind of blank on the name of the organization, the livable neighborhoods. Oh, and, okay, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, and the other, uh, and the other organization, uh, you just mentioned what is the what what is the significance or the important role those organizations play on this consciousness as well. You know, I wish it was possible that all I'd have to do is just say blah blah blah, blah, blah and it would make sense. We're dealing with a very um, uh, dealing with an area that is totally uncharted. And I think we need to approach it from that perspective. The best thing, and I hate to use this as the best thing that happened to me and what I'm doing is the, uh, the virus, the COVID virus, because people have just are experiencing something that nobody knows anything about. And they're getting a chance to see that even though they know nothing about it, people are putting forth unbelievable efforts to address it even in the shots and i just got my second shot last week they don't know how long that's gonna last i mean so you there's no certainties in what you're doing but that doesn't stop people from proceeding and and, and trying and digging and that's where we have to go in this creation of a climate change consciousness to me, at this stage, is reaching the person's cultural and and spiritual transformation. That's what one of the instructors that they introduced us to at Cornell said. He said that that's what it was going to take to be able to deal with this environmental problem is when we figure out a way to reach people through their cultures and their spirituality. That's what I'm doing, and I, and I agree with you. This is not about people of color. Society has made people of color the topic that you discuss. If you listen to me, you hear me talking about the low-income community because across the board, it's the same circumstances. It's the same situation. We need to be able to reach those people. Are there difficulties? Let me put it to you like this. Sunday on, uh, on Mike Wallace's show, he had uh, Bill Gates. Uh, Bill Gates has just wrote a new book. 
And when Bill Gates was addressing the, the, the climate situation, he said, there is 51 billion tons of greenhouse gas emission that is going to need to be removed for us to reach that 2050 goal. When he said that, Mike Wallace's hair almost stood up on it. He said, say that again, 51 billion tons. I was doing something on the, on the computer and I heard it and I turned my head and I hurried up and grabbed the pencil and wrote it down. And he said, the reason that he's saying that and making that known is so that the average American person who is just looking at this as just being another phase of being in America to realize how difficult it's going to be. See, we can't get people's attention until we start making them understand how difficult this is going to be and how much it's going to require all of us, every last one of us, to start getting involved to do what needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And I, just like extending on this, because I, I can quote you here, um, in one of those on one of those articles you said that um quoting you low-income residents need the tools to empower themselves and their families the president congress epa officials should help should help provide those tools by engaging the public in a conversation so people can participate in making their own clean air decisions. Yeah. Uh, this is a quote from you. Yes. Um, I just also note that even when the good intention is available, that is the government officials, we are appointing the planners when they are available, they have the good intention, still uh, people of color and low-income people have so many underlying problems. Yes. Those, proble those problems, most of the time, even with all of those good intentions, stay in the way, just like yep. they stand in the way and they make challenges for us to reach out or uh, fully understand the climate change. Can you, can you comment on that? And I've got two areas I'm gonna bring to that. One is the, the, the water issue in Flint. Hmm. When I talk about Flint's problem, I say that uh, I ask the audience, how many glasses of water would you have allowed your baby to drink if you lived in Flint? And people would go, oh, no, our baby would have had none of that water. I said, well, how many baths would you allow your baby to take when that water in Flint was the color of the palm of my hand as a person of color? It was brownish. Mm. How many would you have let him take? And they always go, oh, no, oh, not my baby. I said, I want you to understand that mothers, fathers, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, allow those babies to drink and take baths in that water for almost two years. Now, I'll get some, I'll get some pushback. Well, people didn't know what to do. I said, excuse me. You know, when does individual responsibility become a factor? When do you say, just like those people living across the street from those daggum oil wells, oil tanks, 
when does individual responsibility become an issue? So that's what we have to be able to figure out a way to reach out to people to teach, okay? Uh, what was the second question? The first one was, the, what was the last question you asked? Oh, it's the same question. It's just like the, the way to overcome those underlying issues. Like, okay. Uh, okay. I think it, it comes from, okay, yeah, I remember now it was, uh, uh, how do you how, how do you get people? You said that if all of these organizations are out here trying to deal with people, and trying to 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 make them understand what it is that you you need to do, and, and I'm saying that it needs to come from the neighborhood leaders, because that is who they trust. When you start dealing with, I think that those organizations, EPA and everyone else, needs to be working to make sure that those people out there in the neighborhood have the tools that they need to be able to reach the people that need to be reached. You know, uh, right now we we have too many social service organizations that are siloed, uh, that have their own agendas, that are in the neighborhoods crisscrossing each other, working with the same people, but not together as a collaborative group, as individual organizations. And people take advantage of that, just like with the food being given out. Depending on where you are, you got food now that's being given out by organizations and churches and places all over the city, you know, with very little uh, uh, rationale behind how many of uh, these people in line have been in lines at the other places we got in the city. I mean, we always find this need to want to be able to, to, to give. And I'm saying, just like you said, how people have all these issues that they're living with that they don't have time to give any attention to the problems that we're trying to address. But you know, I think those other issues are predominantly being controlled from a need for an income. Yeah. That's why we brought the three agencies together. That's why we found a way to apply for our EPA job training grant. So we can start getting people with marketable skills. Now, my work and my efforts are to create a that meeting I said we had at the city hall with the guy from EPA. What we're talking about doing is how can we create some employment opportunities within the community where people will feel comfortable getting started. I'm not saying that what we're creating they'll retire from, but once you get the marketable skills, I like to see us have a program that's anywhere from three to 10 years that a person could work on to be able to master those marketable skills. See, I don't think a, a corporation or organization or a construction company ought to hire somebody because they're black, brown, or a female. I think they ought to be able to hire people based on the asset that they can be to their company. So I see that as being another way for people within the movement to create opportunities for people to become assets with those new marketable skills they got. So if that means we have to go into where houses are all boarded up and are being knocked over into the ground with asbestos and go in and deal with the lead abatement and all, turn that into a school. 
for these graduates of this job training program and give them a chance to be able to learn new skills that they can use. Donnelly College, the reason I wanted them to be a part of this is because they have already agreed if some of the graduates, I would love to go after the, 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 the 24, the 40 year old college graduates that have become disenfranchised with working in America. They have made up their mind, they're not gonna do it anymore. I'm not working that kind of life no more. And what they have done is dropped out of the mainstream, gone out and got them a job as a manager at a McDonald's, even if it's a night shift, and they spend their time during the day creating their own business. If the America would stop and realize how many of those college graduates have started t-shirt businesses, mass businesses, you, if your, you, your city does something and, and they need to sell T-shirts the next day, you'll have 10 different groups out there in the cities with the T-shirts they made up overnight because they are trying to be entrepreneurs because they want to be able to work. They want to be able to make an income, but they want to have that independence that is so important in America this day and age. So yes, that's where we are. It's all about creating an income. Hmm. There it is. Thank you so much for that. And um, and one other venue you talked about a lot is schools. I, I, I here in Iowa City, the school district is having is just like uh, in the process of starting. It is climate action. Uh, 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 what do you call it? The, climate action plan and the uh, inventory and all of those things. So yes. it is heading in the right direction. However, there are more than the, just like the inventory and the goals and the stuff. There is, there is this component related to the students themselves, the quality of the students and how to connect them. I think you talked a lot about the future uh, students uh, as important assets. Yes. being the future generations and preparing them for their climate action role. Can yes. you just also speak a little bit about this? If you if you look into me, uh, you'll somewhere discover that I have created what's called a pathway out of poverty. You hear that said all the time, but I literally have created one that has a 50-year time limit with it, not a limit, but I say I call it the 50-year pathway out of poverty. I'm being recognized by this again across the country. And what I do is started with the um, uh, K through 12. Uh, we need to have a specific program engaged with that age group. I'm working on trying to create like for preschool through the third grade. I'd like to see some uh, man-made uh, wetlands that's made uh, in a particular area where the kids can go out and get exposed to wetland kind of circumstances. I would like for it to be their first raw science experience. I mean, touch. I mean, we have kids and, and I, well, you have kids growing up in, in urbanized areas that don't have that outdoor world that we all might have had when we were growing up. So we need to figure out a way 
need to give them that experience. We need to figure out a way for them to see salamanders and bat caves and even little snakes slither along the ground or something and understand this is all part of nature. Uh, that would be from that preschool through about the third grade. From the fourth to the, 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 the twelfth grade, I'm working with a group, a, a professor out of um, Pence, uh, works in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and what we're working on is creating a way to teach that group how to create an income. See, we don't have school teaching our young folks how to create an income. So we need to do something that's going to show them how what creating an income means, not only for yourself, but for the city. How you're raising taxes for your state, you're raising taxes for your city, you're raising taxes for your federal government. And how creating these different type of businesses can be good for restaurants, good for the hotel. We're talking tourist type business. I mean, we're dealing with it from the perspective that we want to teach that fourth through the 12th grader what that's about to complement what they get in school. See, we teaching them stuff in school, <clears throat> but in the inner cities, I don't know about where, in Iowa and Kansas City, you can have so much degradation that by the time the kid leaves school and makes it home, he's seen so much negative stuff that he ends up forgetting what he learned in school. So we're doing good if we can get one out of 10 to come out of there and learn something. And then we got to worry about him falling between the cracks when he gets older. So we have those conditions. So we need to have something that can further what they're learning in school. When we went and did that garden at the school, you saw it was totally unworked. But when we came in as community people, you know, not teachers. We had a teacher we was working with, but it was community people that looked like them and act like them, and they could relate to doing what they the school had been trying to do, but with lack of enthusiasm. We came there, and because we was doing it, they got so excited about it, they was out there beating us out there to get it done. So that's the kind of moral concept that I'm selling in my reaching the untapped markets. And you're getting close to my secrets, I gotta watch it. Somebody be out there writing this down, trying to go and do it. No, I'm just kidding. But that is that is where it is. It's, 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 it's not a project, okay? It's a foundation. And we're looking for a economic foundation to grow from. But we have made our mistakes up to this point is when we talk in terms of economic development, it's about the individual. And we need to focus back in on the environment. That's the reason. If we have, God talked in terms of benefiting those less than you, the poor. But he wasn't talking about knucklehead who dropped out of school at 16 years old and are out here now in life without no job and no skills. He's talking about we're going to always have poor. So what we need to do is figure out how to reach those, I don't want to use knuckleheads because somebody will probably say I shouldn't say that, but to reach those people who have fallen between the crack for whatever reason with a new, I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not so much a Jesse Jackson fan for many reasons, but I really admired the, the, him talking about keep hope alive. There's a reason that we as a society need to keep hope alive for our 
kids coming up in our low-income communities. They need to be able to feel, I can do that. Yeah, we talk about uh, young girls now saying that someday they can grow up and be like the new vice president we got, hope they do. We need them to see, uh, to think about growing up to be a you, to be a me to be folks that they see every day, because that's who will motivate them to have hope. So that's the other aspect of that. Oh, nice, awesome, yeah. One other thing I love you talking about is the program you described earlier. I saw it uh, when students, like college students, learn about climate action, and then they go and they teach the social service uh, personnel, personnel wow. who can really uh, expand and or approach uh, clients with more awareness. Can you talk a little bit about well, this? You, you really been researching me, boy. I mean, that's a, woo, I, I didn't know that was anywhere to be found. Yes, that is a program that we're working on right now uh, to, we're trying to establish. Um, and what we're going to do is uh, design classes. Uh, I got a new word as a behaviorist that I'm using syllabus for the Diamond College. And the classroom professors will teach students certain subjects. And, whatever, and then what we will do, we will do that first and second semester. And we've made arrangements with those uh, social service agencies, El Centro, and EOF, Economic Opportunity, the CAP agency, we will hire those students as interns during the summer. And their job will be, we'll hire eight of them. And their job will be to go to those social service agencies and teach their staff what they have learned. Okay, and the, and, and, and the executive directors of both of those organizations are extremely excited about this happening because they want their staff to create, to have a climate change conscious because they're working with clients and they need, to, and they see them as being a direct link to those clients. So those students will work with the staff teaching them a climate change consciousness and then work with the staff to show their clients. And that is a major step in this pathway out of poverty that I've created for being able to reach people at a much younger age. Now, the reason why, the most, the biggest reason the agencies you mentioned like EPA and all these other places have problems is because of a lack of trust when you deal in them kind of community, low income community. But the one person who has their ultimate respect are these people that are running these ethnic social service agencies. They've been working with these people. They've been working with kids since they were born. I mean, you got people 21 years old that have been, been knowing the, the executive director and her staff during the whole, their whole lifetime. So when you have them being the ones that are bringing them some information about climate change, they'll be more readily to accept it and hear it over having to sit up there and work through these, these, these barriers of mistrust. So that's what that program's about. That's right. You get that's cutting edge stuff, buddy. I want you to know that. That's uh, but that's what we'd like to see happen because I'm gonna tell you why. Those college students in the inner city, 
You know, they're not going to be going to Harvard. They're not going to be going to, to, to some of them, yes, but not the majority. So what we're doing is creating them to be the future workforce in our inner city. So if they are learning these skills along the way, when they get into those positions, some of them may end up being executive director of these organizations we're working with. They will have the wherewithal of how to be able to run that organization in the way it's been run and also bring the climate change consciousness message to everyone they're dealing with. Yes. One last thing I would ask about, and you also talked a lot about, about it is when people, especially in uh, inner city neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods, understand and feel that climate actions, say, for example, recycling, waste, uh, energy efficiency, is something that improves their financial capacity. That it that as we just described in this webinar, it's either we give people money or we uh, reduce their cost. Something like that. So, uh, I wanted I wanted to highlight how this is important when we are now talking about climate action in Iowa City. When we reach these people, how, how will this contribute to more and more uh, advocacy for climate action? Being just transferring from being from being a person who knows minimum out about climate change into being uh, an ambassador for climate change with this financial component. Yes, uh, and, and Sarah, I see you up there, so I'm gonna get this real quick because you're ready, I can see the on you ready to speak. We have a water testing program that's, that we use in within the classrooms in school. We got our chance with working with the river keepers out of Kansas, uh, friends of the call. And we would go in with classroom science students and deal with them on, on, on scientifically testing water. And of course, I use my Clint story as to make them understand how that should never happen in their life because now they're in a position that they themselves are learning. Uh, if, they, if, the, if, if, so, if the government won't check your water for whatever reason, like Clint, because it was an illegal situation, then you can do it yourself. There's no reason for you to ever put you and your family in that position. Well, then they get a different attitude about what that learning. And so in during the course of our working with them, I, especially me, because I'm a non-scientist, I bring in different, I make a presentation PowerPoint on, 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 on ways of the future. I did one on robots. I mean, I, I've done things to show them what's going on and it's going to be happening in their lifetime. So you have them at a point of taking a realistic attitude and view about what they're looking at. Some might say, well, I don't even know why we're going to school if that's who's going to have our jobs. But then some other one, not me, some other one will say, yeah, but I tell you what, if they got their robots, they're going to also have to have people to learn how to work on it. So that's how it is. You create the conversation. These kids are not ignorant, man. They're the most intelligent people that I know. And they are able to start having them conversations with each other. And that's where it comes from. If they think they're doing it because because you being paid as a teacher to teach me, they they just say only reason you're doing it because you're getting paid. But when they start seeing themselves getting engaged in it, that's what makes the difference. Okay. Well, you did a good job on me, buddy. I'm scared of you. <laughs> Come on, Sarah. <laughs> well, we did promise folks a chance for a Q and A. We're coming up pretty hard on seven o'clock. I think we might go over by just a few minutes. Um, I'll. Just reiterate that if anybody would like to ask a question, you can raise your hand, click the little hand icon at the bottom of the screen, and we'll unmute you. 
Um, while we're waiting to see if anybody does that, we did have a question come in asking about how people with disabilities fit into this uh, outreach effort and the uh, inclusive, inclusivity that we're aiming for in the climate discussion. Um, Richard, would you be able to speak to that a little? Yeah, I, I know for a fact that that's an area that is definitely being explored and worked with. And it is definitely one that if I'm engaged in conversations, I try to figure out a way to make sure that it's being discussed at the table where these decisions are being made. Uh, exclusivity means that everyone has the same right and opportunity to participate and succeed. And so that will increase the motivation for some folks to want to get involved in the disabled world as far as creating things for them to do. Some of the disabled folks themselves can do it. I think some of these folks coming back from these war-torn areas that are disabled and handicapped now could probably really see that as being a good old future they could have sitting at home and making things happen. So that's where it's coming from. I, I don't want us to think anything's been done in creating the climate change consciousness. You're making people aware of the fact that we're living in a different world now. Okay, you understand? So, and then once that happens, opportunities open up. I mean, it just naturally come to you. We don't have any hands raised yet. Um, we'll give folks just a minute more. The other question that came in in the Q&A, Richard, was whether you would be interested or <laughs> willing to share your contact information. Oh, yeah, I had that. I'm sorry, I had it on my first uh, a slide, and I supposed to have it on my last, and I didn't do it, but there you go. Can you all see that? Can you still see it? Not quite yet. Okay, let me see. Am I, uh, uh, oh, okay. Let me go back to the first slide. There you go. Can you see it now, or is it not being shared? Is that what the problem is? I think it's not being shared. Okay, so I'm gonna share this now. You gotta get this quick, cause I don't wanna, well, it doesn't matter. We don't have that many questions being asked. So this way you'll get a chance to see it. So there you go. There's my contact information. I'm sorry, I meant to put it on the last slide and I didn't do it. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me, there I am. Uh, the only thing not on there is my, my email address. And uh, I, I, if you would, it's not that big a problem. It's rmabian at uh, 64. Uh, gmail.com, but you can also get that from Sarah here since you tied in with the city. You can contact her and she can give you that information. Um, it looks like we have one question from Ursula. Let me see if I can unmute you here, Ursula. Let me get this back off. Okay. Okay. Ursula, you should have permission to talk if you'd like to hop in. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, awesome. Hi, it is really nice to meet you. I'm uh, I'm friends with uh, Iman, so I told him I was going to heckle him all through, and then I realized I was muted. It was really boring. <laughs> 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 um, I actually am really interested in um, maybe some further communication with you, um, so I'm going to get into touch with you after this. Um, my, my focus has been um, urban greening, uh, climate action assistance through um, uh, basically uh, eliminating the extinction of experience, which is kind of what you were referring to when you were talking about like kids nowadays not really having access or um, 
access to or uh, interaction with the wetlands and, and things like that. Um, and I just wanted to know, um, you know, I'm, I being a um, lower class white woman um, coming into contact with Iman, um, who calls me a strong white woman, thank you very much. <laughs> um, when I'm out there talking with um, families of color um, that maybe are leery of, of the, the lighter skinned um, individuals out there for very good reasons. Um, do you have any tips on how, uh, how I can start those conversations um, more readily? And um, are there groups of people that are willing to go out with someone like me uh, to kind of bring that, that black or brown face with me to help open up those conversations? Okay. First of all, uh, I, I agree with you. That's the industry that we're in right now. So we have to learn to make it work, regardless of uh, what we might want to happen. And yes, that trust factor is there based on your race. It's just a, um, uh, as you can imagine, across uh, decades of time, that it's just been driven into folks not to trust people who, who they don't know or who don't look like them. And you also have to realize that many folks in this industry who do what we do are scandalous in themselves. They get it at a job and they really don't care that much about the people that they're yeah. dealing with. So yeah. here's my suggestion that I go with. I think that what we need to be able to do is um, find something that interests the person. And let's take, let's take elementary age because I still think we need to start at young, much younger age. What I'd like that one proposed, one uh, uh, activity that I would propose, and I got this from a farmer, mm -hmm. uh, and, and he just turned his farm, eight-acre organic farm, into a eight-acre orchard because he's 96 years old, and he's been doing this for the last maybe uh, 20 years because he knew he was going to get to an age that he couldn't farm. Mm -hmm. And what he would do is he would take the um, seedlings off of his fruit trees every summer, and he would place them in a special little bed to grow mm -hmm. that summer. And then back the, when it came to, got to the end of the summer, those things would be anywhere almost 15 to two feet tall. Nice. And what he would do would go out and level off a piece of his land and he would go plant those now small trees in, 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 in an orchard. And now he has turned his eight acre farm into such a, a, a gigantic orchard. He has people glean it for him, come over and glean the trees for and give the food to places like Harvester and stuff. And he can have as many as 20 to 30,000 pounds of fruit every year from what he's done. So what he talked to me about, and by the way, he just called me this evening, but what he talked to me about doing and got me excited about doing is let's take every elementary age child. Let's say, uh, let's get them when they in the, you know, I like to go on them grades. So let's take uh, a fifth grader. Those fifth graders are about how old? 10, something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's take them out to the farm and have them dig up a seating seedling and then take them up on the main strip through the the black community white community whatever community mm -hmm. and have them plant that seeding 
on, on, on the thoroughfare mm-hmm. and name it, <laughs> name it, and what, and then monitor it. You know, I mean, you know, really be work with the city. We may have to figure out a way to make sure during the hot season that we get in the water and all that kind of stuff when it gets just getting the planet. But the reason I want to do that is one, two reasons. Uh, for people who are hungry in time and about, about five, watching this guy in about three years, fruit starts growing on the trees. Yeah. Five years, five years, they so heavy branches start breaking. But what we would do is to provide those youngsters with what I call a natural evolution process and in the low-income communities there are very few evolution processes that you can use to show them what life is about and so if they had those trees through the time that they graduated from high school yeah those trees would be the catalyst for them being pushed into life to achieve so that's what I would do. So you're not dealing with them on the 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 underlining cause of uh, of climate change. When I learned the uh, civil rights and the work that I do, they taught me that you never approach people from the front with your your objective, yeah. and, and you find another way to deal with them. Because if you try to come through the front door, they're gonna find ways to block you. But if you find a different way to come in that house, by the time they realize what you've done, you'll be sitting down at the kitchen table drinking coffee with them. And then they'll realize <laughs> that during the time you've been doing what you was doing, you actually had found a way to enter into their heart and soul. Because until we get to that heart and soul, we won't have that spiritual and cultural transformation. So don't take it negatively because of your, your skin color or who you are or the circumstances that exist between races. Our responsibility is to design a way that our future generations will have harmony with each other. I love it. I love it. Let's get together and I'm going to help you start that tree. Oh, I'd love it. I mean, <laughs> that'd be great. Because I do think that that's a, a, a project that we need to do. We just need to find ways not to be out there talking climate change. I said creating the climate change consciousness. When they grew their garden at the school, we weren't out there talking climate change. We was growing the garden, yep. you know, and letting them see what it's all about. But after what happened, happened, and they got a chance to see it, it's not me saying now you got a climate change consciousness to them. That's me saying to me that that group has a climate change consciousness. They're going to be ready to deal with things now in a much different way than they were when they first got started. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you, Ursula, for that wonderful question. And thank you, Richard and Eamon, for this great conversation tonight. This has been just wonderful. We really appreciate the energy and insight that you brought into it. Um, I'll just say that if anybody was inspired by tonight's conversation and would like to continue the discussion, um, this coming Monday, March 1st, the University of Iowa will be hosting a presentation at 7 p.m. that is open to the public by Dr. Robert Bullard, who's the founder of the environmental justice movement. Uh, You can find more information about that and sign up to attend at events.uiowa.edu. Um, And with that, I think we'll conclude our discussion tonight, but thank you again for the wonderful discussion and thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening in tonight. Yes, and Eamon, thank you, brother. 
It's very nice meeting you. I look forward to someday having the chance to meet you face to face, okay? Once we get through all this pandemic that's going on. All right, brother? For sure. And here, I will definitely going to meet. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.